This episode of Your Catholic Life is brought to you by Iowa Catholic Radio, connecting listeners with Christ. IowaCatholicRadio.com, and now broadcasting on the free Iowa Catholic Radio app. Welcome in, everyone, to Your Catholic Life, a podcast for Catholics by Catholics, helping you grow in your faith. I'm John Leonetti, your host. He's the patron saint of goof-ups. At least that's what I coined him as in my book, Your God is Too Boring. Yeah, St. Peter. He denied Jesus three times, walked on water, then sank, and just couldn't wrap his mind around this whole foot-washing thing. But later... He became one of the greatest saints the church has ever known, and one of my favorites as well. There's so much to learn about this man, Peter, this Pope, our first Holy Father, and here to help us to dive deep and into uh, St. Peter is the president of the Augustine Institute, speaker and author of Peter, Keys to Following Jesus, Dr. Tim Gray joins me. Hello, doctor. Hi, John. It's great to be with you. Thank you. If you're Peter, how do you recover from the denial of our Lord? Only with the Lord's grace and help. Mm. You know, it's it's fascinating. You have two scenes in the Gospels that are that are really juxtaposed closely. One is the scene of, of Peter denying Jesus three times in John 18 at the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. And what's really striking about that scene is he, he not only denies that he knows Jesus, he doesn't do that simply to the high priest, but he does it to the lowest servant in the high priest's house, mm. his maidservant out in the courtyard. And then Jesus gives him an opportunity to give a threefold affirmation to undo the threefold denial in John 21, in verse 15 and following, where basically Jesus has a charcoal fire. He's on the shore. Peter's out there after the resurrection fishing again. And Peter sees Jesus on shore. John the Beloved says, it's, it's, it's the Lord. Peter dives into the water. That's the impetuous Peter. Swims to shore. And Jesus three times asks him, Peter, do you love me more than these? And that threefold reaffirmation happens at a charcoal fire. The only other time a charcoal fire is mentioned is where Peter denies Jesus three times. Hmm. So you get a beautiful uh, kind of opportunity that the Lord sets up with that charcoal fire for Peter to reaffirm his threefold love for Jesus as he's about to go forward and lead the church in mission. I imagine Peter's a pretty rough guy. I mean, he was a fisherman. He was, you know, and I think a lot of people don't appreciate you know, his brother Andrew was working with John the Baptist down at the Jordan River. And Peter was back, you know, running the family business as a fisherman. And, you know, you get the sense that Andrew wanted to be on the cutting edge. He was looking for the Messiah. He was looking for this new age for Israel that the prophets had, had spoken of. But Peter's kind of a down-to-earth, pragmatic guy, and he's running the business. I mean, Andrew's out running around with the prophet, but there's Peter up in Galilee. And it'll take Jesus stepping into Peter's boat to get Peter's attention. Hmm. Uh, it always amazes me how quickly Peter, after receiving the call, kind of drops everything to follow Christ. I, I, there, there's got to be some parallels there for us. Well, you know, exactly. I think, you know, at first Peter's a little bit reluctant. Andrew's on board right away. Uh, but, but Peter's off doing his business. And in John 5, or Luke 5, you get a beautiful story of Jesus teaching Peter's washing the nets after fishing all night, and Jesus steps into Peter's boat and tells him to, to go out a little bit from shore where he can teach the crowds with his voice echoing over the waters, since there's not a PA system at the time. And then Jesus challenges Peter, let's go out fishing. You know, Duke and Altum is the famous phrase that you know, Paul II loved. 
was cast into the deep. And Peter's like, I, I fished all night. We caught nothing. But at your word, you know, I'll do this. But yeah, he kind of argues with reluctant. the Lord a little bit. He does. He thinks this is a really bad idea. Peter's the fisherman. Jesus is the rabbi. And Peter's telling the rabbi, look, I'm only doing this because you're asking me to, but I'm going to tell you this isn't going to work. If we didn't catch fish all night, they're not going to be around in large schools during the day. And yet, you know, Jesus gives them the look that says, go, and Peter goes. And that will be a turning point because, as we all know, Peter's going to catch more fish on that day than he ever has in his life. And he's going to realize that, yes, it was against, you know, all, all the reasonable things you would do as a fisherman. And so he realized there's something, something strikingly new here at work with Jesus. In fact, the first, when he first says, you know, to him, sir, you know, uh, in the Greek text, it's clear that he, he, Peter refers to Jesus as sir. After the catch of fish, he calls him Lord, which is a sense of faith, kurios, which, which is the term used for God in the Old Testament. For the, and so, so I think Peter goes through a transformation there in that encounter with Jesus. You say Jesus. And that's why he's willing to drop everything. You say Jesus gave him the look. It sounds like, sounds like my wife, right? Go, and then gives me the look. And, <laughs> and I go. I'm going to follow. Uh, how did Peter die? Well, you know, that's, at the end of the story, Peter is going to be uh, crucified upside down because he gets taken during Nero's persecution. And there's a great story that I, I have as the last chapter of the book uh, called Quo Vadis, which is people may have seen the movie. Uh, there's a great novel uh, by Heinrich Sekiewicz, a great Polish writer of the 19th century, called Quo Vadis, and it's about Nero's persecution of the early Christians. And we say it's tradition, but it's written down in a, in, a, in a book called The Acts of Peter in the 2nd century, early 2nd century. So it's, a, it's not like it's a tradition that goes back for a thousand years. It's a tradition for maybe a generation. And then it finds written form where during the persecution, Peter tries to flee, and the Christians in the community of Rome say, Peter, flee. You've you got you to survive this. Hmm. And he's on the Appian Way, and he encounters a man carrying a cross coming the other direction into the city. And then he recognizes it's Jesus. And he says, Domine quo vadis, which in Latin means, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says, I'm going back to be crucified again because you're abandoning my flock. And then, of course, Peter turns around, goes back to suffer with the early Christian community, and he's ultimately crucified wow. upside down. And, and that crucifixion right there spoke more uh, to the to the Christians and to the life of the Church than, than him being safe. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the beautiful thing is, as he's being sentenced and crucified, Peter, in his humility, says, crucify me upside down. I don't deserve to die as my Lord did. And, you know, there's a couple great, great paintings in the tradition, one by Michelangelo, another by Caravaggio, Peter being crucified upside down. And it just speaks to Peter's humility, right? And he's, when Peter's all in, he's all in. Now, sometimes he's all in going the wrong direction. Sure. <laughs> but when he's all in the right direction, he's amazing. Have you had a devotion to St. Peter in the past, or is this just kind of an idea you had and you wanted to run with it? You know, I, I've always loved Peter as a figure because he's just so easy to connect with and relate to. Yeah. And, you know, I, I studied Hebrew, uh, in Hebrew at Hebrew University back in, in the early 90s when I started my doctoral studies. And being in the Holy Land and then leading you know, pilgrimages to the Holy Land every year, the figure of Peter just keeps jumping out to me hmm. and growing on me. And then I also felt that Peter is a bridge between Jesus and the Church. 
And I think one of the greatest challenges we face as Christians today is the idea that all I need is Jesus. It's the Church I don't need. The Church, organized religion, we don't need these things. And I think if the more we understand Peter, the more we understand that Jesus' intentions was to found a Church, and that you can't separate Jesus from the Church if you really know Jesus. Did he have a relationship with Our Lady? Certainly he must have, because, you know, Mary is there with the Apostles at different points in the story. And, uh, and, and even early on in Acts, you've got the, you know, the, 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 the remnant of the 11 apostles and a few of the Christians who believe, uh, the 120 in the upper room at Pentecost, and then there's Mary. So you've got Peter leading, and you've got Mary singled out. And so both Peter and Mary are the two who are named out of the 120 at Pentecost. And so the two of them clearly were leading the church. They were kind of the anchors for the early church. Let's go back to the relatability of Peter. For me, he's just always been so relatable because I mess up so many times. And throughout the stories, I mean, throughout the the scriptures, we see this in the Gospels of one after another. Peter just not getting it right. And in some ways, you kind of feel bad for him. You almost feel like the Lord's singling him out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, you you know, and that's what's so beautiful about Peter. His humanity just jumps out at you. And what you see is humanity encountering God and God's mercy in inviting us into a call that maybe we don't deserve or not worthy of, and certainly not prepared for, and also to see that divinity forgive that broken humanity, when it, you know, as we talked about with Peter's denial. But I, I think of, you mentioned the story of Peter walking on the water, and of course, that's a fantastic story. As, as Jesus is walking on the water, he sends Peter and the boys on the boat ahead of him, and they're probably wondering, how are you going to catch up? And Jesus is like, i got a shortcut, don't worry. And then as Jesus is walking past them, they all are terrified. They think it's a ghost. And Peter's the one who cries out, Lord, if that is you, bid me to come to you. Nobody else is saying that. And then, of course, Peter gets out of the boat because Jesus summons him. And he walks on the water, and he's doing well until he takes his eyes off of Christ. And he sees the waves and the wind, and he begins to sink. And, of course, then you get that great, what I call the great Petrine prayer that I think everyone should have memorized. Lord, save me. Hmm. <laughs> and that's what Jesus does. He grabs him by the arm, pulls him up, and then Jesus rebukes him and says, you know, why did you doubt, oh man of dinky faith? Hmm. And, <laughs> you know, what, what is, if Peter has dinky faith, what does that say about the other 11 guys watching from the boat, from inside the boat, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's, you, you see Peter's boldness and yet frailty at the same time, and that, that, that constantly comes out in the story. Peter wants to be all in, and yet Peter will oftentimes bump up against his own weaknesses and doubts, and, and sometimes he'll get ahead of himself and make a fool of himself. But that's what, why we love him. But he goes in, you know, and, and as you said, he, that, that, that's why we love him, because he, he immerses himself, even if he's not going to get it right. I mean, this is what a disciple does. And, and you mentioned this in your book, uh, that, that it, it's not about living this from a distance, that discipleship yeah. means going all in. It certainly does, and, and sometimes that all in is kind of crazy, where he says at the Last Supper, Jesus says, you know, I must wash you, and he's washing the feet, and Peter's like, you will not wash my feet, Lord. Right. And he, you know, we know he means that out of, you know, reverence to Christ, and yet then Christ has to rebuke him, says, look, if I don't wash you, you're not going to have any part in me. Right. And then Peter's like, okay, well, wash my head and my hands. Yeah, well. he wants the deluxe package. Exactly. So you just got to love that about Peter, but you're right. We, we learn from Peter that we can't have a discipleship from a distance. And I, I love Luke's account of the Passion Night, where after Jesus is arrested, 
and taken to Caiaphas' house. John and Peter, but Peter follows Jesus, we're told from Luke, from a distance. And then what I reflect on is that following Jesus from a distance is going to lead to denial, Hmm. that he even knows Jesus. And it's a question I turned to myself and reflected, and and this came from reflections at Caiaphas' house. There's a beautiful Catholic church built over that place in, in Jerusalem now called St. Peter Gallicantu, Gallicantu meaning rooster in Latin. And I remember just praying there in that, in that beautiful church, reflecting on the scene of Peter's life, and I realized Peter followed from a distance, and then he ends up in denial. And oftentimes we want to follow Jesus, but from a distance, a distance that's comfortable, that doesn't get us questioned from the world and from the persecutions and challenges of the world. But we want to follow from a comfortable distance. But if you follow Jesus from a distance, you're going to end up in denial. It's like following somebody in a car. And if you follow them to a place you don't know where you're going and you want to do that from a distance, you're going to get cut off and lost. And that's what Peter shows us. Jesus is so merciful to him. And and I think in a lot of ways demonstrates just what he has in store for us, that, that abundance of mercy that God wants to give us, even when we get it wrong too. He certainly does. And I think Peter shows us the difference between uh, a disciple who messes up and yet starts over again. And Judas shows us a disciple who denies Jesus, betrays him, but doesn't have the humility and the hope to ask for forgiveness, yeah. whereas Peter does. And that's really the difference between Judas and Peter. And I think any disciple who's going to make it in his discipleship for the long run has to ask Christ for forgiveness, has to start over again. And Peter gives us that hope, and he shows us the right way to do it. And Judas shows us the way of despair, which is always literally a dead end. We don't want to go that way. It just, I'm always inspired by that love of Peter, and and you just you can sense it when you when you're reading the scriptures. You know that deep love, and you knew that he understood though his his human frailty. He knew that I think better than anyone, uh, save from our Lord. But he he knew just how weak he really was. He does, and and that's why he's going to be a renewed man after after the death and resurrection of our Lord, after he's reconciled to Jesus, he's going to be a leader, and you're going to see him boldly going out in the power of the Holy Spirit in light of what Christ has called him to do. And I, I think Jesus prepares him in many ways. And in one of the ways I think that really blew my mind as I was you know, spending time in the Holy Land studying Peter was the idea that when Peter gets his name changed from Simon to Rock, he also gets his, his surname changed. You know, Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. And Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, is a prophetic title that I think has an influence on Peter's life in a big way. I never knew that. I never realized before. Yeah, you know, I I think, um, because we know in in John chapter 21 that Peter's father's name is actually John, which is a very different name than Jonah. Jonah is an extraordinary, extraordinarily rare name for a Jew in, in the time of Jesus. Very, very rare. And for him to say, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, he's, you know, his father's John. So what does that mean? Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. And the Aramaic is preserved in the Greek text of Matthew 16. So that tells us it's something very special. In other words, he's saying, I'm changing your name. You're no longer son of John. You're son of the prophet Jonah. You're going to have a, a Jonah-shaped vocation. Wow. And then Peter's got to be puzzling over why. What does that mean? And I think later on in his life, he's going to discover the depth of that call and that meaning.
This is powerful. I mean, that that gave me the chills that you just said that. I, I had no idea. You know, I, of course, I always heard of rock, you know, Christ Jesus changing his name. Uh, but but to know now Jonah, that, that influence and the, the prophet there, that's, well, that's beautiful. The book is Peter, Keys to Following Jesus. Uh, how can people get this book? You know, Ignatius Press or Lighthouse uh, Catholic Media has it on our on our uh, web store. You know, Lighthouse is now part of the Augustine Institute. We had a merger about it just about a year ago, exactly. That's great. And um, I want to give you a quick opportunity to before you go to to kind of plug the Augustine Institute too, because I think this is one of the premier uh, evangelistic uh, institutes in the, in the country. Oh, thanks, John. Well, you know, our passion is to use the new methods for the new evangelization as St. John Paul II challenged the Church. And, you know, we have a terrific digital platform now called Formed, F-O-R-M-E-D, dot org. And uh, we're trying to use these digital tools for the new evangelization. And, and the Form platform, gosh, it's been out for, I think, 14 months, and we already have over 200,000 subscribers wow. all over the world. It's just exploding. And you can get a lot of our books, a lot of Catholic movies, and uh, a lot of our video programs on that platform. And, of course, one of our fortes is doing high-end, super-quality video programs. We had a guy who worked in Hollywood, Steve Flanagan, who had his own video company, who gave up his company to come work with us mm. for the sake of evangelization. And his team is doing great stuff like Symbolon, but now Beloved, which is a beautiful program on marriage, which is saving marriages. Some people are using it. It's been starting to be used for marriage prep all over the country. And then other programs like Reborn that just basically we're, we're doing a new way of catechizing to use great testimony, great video, great music to win people over. And just you just start watching this video and you just get pulled into it. And we just launched a new program called Forgiven that is going to lead people to the Sacrament of Reconciliation in a powerful, powerful way. What's the website for the Augustine Institute? It's AugustineInstitute.org. So awesome. it's all one word, AugustineInstitute.org. Hey, man, you're doing a great job. I, I just I can't thank you enough. I love your stuff. I love reading it. Uh, you're a great interview, and we'll talk to you again very soon. Do you, do you have a personal website? I don't. I just want everything to be about the Augustine Institute. So, but and, and I, you're I, humble, I too. the work you're doing. You're yeah. humble, too. <laughs> I love it, man. God bless you. Thanks so much. Thanks much, John. Dr. Timothy Gray, everyone. So there you have it, friend, St. Peter. A model for us all. And one who teaches us never to give up. God's mercy and grace, friends, is always there if we only turn back to him. And St. Peter shows us how to do that. And look at where he is now. Amazing. Friends, make sure to share this and other episodes of Your Catholic Life on Facebook and Twitter, inviting your friends to take part in the show. Visit our website at yourcatholiclifepodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm John Leonetti signing off here on Your Catholic Life. Remember, the only way to happiness is by holiness. Be confident in Christ's mercy and his love today.